Corp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another uh, great episode in our uh, sort of leadership showcase series. And today, my guest is Marcus Brendel, head of information and automotive security at Cariad. It's a Volkswagen company. We'll get into what they uh, what they do. If you don't know uh, Marcus, who's been in the industry a long time, he is, in, in addition to being a technologist and a geek, uh, all-around geek, he's a father, a husband, he's a hobby carpenter, a mountain biker, and a formerly, formerly trained software engineer. And welcome to the show, Marcus. Thanks, Derek. Happy to be here. Well, Marcus, uh, this will be fun. You and I have known each other for some time, and uh, I, I find that even folks I've known a long time, uh, these are fun because I learn something new every single time about about people I thought I I thought I knew pretty well. So this will be this will be good. Um, Let's see if I can surprise you a bit then. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can. I'm I'm almost certain you can. Um, <laughs> So, you know, let's let's go back. I always like to say that, you know, modern uh, superheroes are, you know, cybersecurity people today are, you know, are superheroes to, to a certain degree. And so superheroes always have a backstory. You know, where uh, where does uh, where was Marcus born or he was it in some sort of lab um, or, or more, more natural? <laughs> I hope it was natural. At least that's the story I've been told so far. You're worrying <laughs> me there a little bit, Derek. Um, no, look, I'm 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 Swiss. Uh, I was born in Iran because my dad was doing some work uh, there uh, in the 70s. But uh, I'm Swiss. I grew up in Switzerland uh, with a brother, so small town, you know, somewhere near Zurich. No, awesome. And did so? Did you grow up your your whole year there, or did you, or, you know your your formative years, or did you guys move around, or? No, no, I pretty much lived in, uh, in in Switzerland all my life. You know, I did uh, when I was 17. I spent a year in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. all the places doing an exchange here but other than that i pretty much spent you know the the first part of my life until like 20 all, all the time in switzerland yeah yeah uh, um, any early um inter, you know technology uh, have any any sort of intersection with your life in those early years yeah i know my, my my grandfather you know he was a technologist chief technology officer within bbc that later became abb so you know i think technology runs in my family my, my dad was very much into technology you know uh, we had uh, early computers when they came out so you know early touch points for sure pretty clear early on that uh, you know i was going to go into the technology field sooner or later awesome well what did you decide to do um at post post high school well uh, i did decide to go study computer science so i did uh, you know was it four years four and a half years to get a, a master's in computer science um, and then also ended up staying a little bit longer because I thought, you know, might as well get my geek on full 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 time and uh, get a PhD in theoretical computer science. So that's uh, what I ended up doing then. Well, awesome. What was your planned application? What what kind of what were you thinking of doing, or what were you interested in? What What do you mean from the PhD side, or? Yeah, just as you were studying, you know, it, people obviously changed their mind. But were you thinking about this is what I want to do, where I want to end up, what I want to you know do as a career? Uh, no, I mean, you know, I'm not someone that thinks that far ahead, usually, to be honest. Uh, you know, after high school, it was pretty obvious to me that I enjoyed, you know, technology, I enjoyed computers. So that's why I started, you know, uh, studying computer science, was, uh, you know, doing a lot of programming on the side, you know, jobs here, job there, writing software. So when the... Uh, masters was done. I also kind of knew already, you know, what the real world looked like in terms of work. And I said, you know, if I can stay another three years at university and have a good time doing a PhD, why not do that? So I've never been someone that, you know, plans out his life more than, you know, a couple of years ahead. 
so there was never a big plan, you know, I'm going to go study computer science and become, you know, a CEO of a software company or anything like that. Or, or launch rockets to, uh, you know, get to the next uh, inhabitable planet. As some people exactly. Say. No, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned something about doing uh, exchange. I think that's interesting. You know, we have international guests now, yeah. more, more, more of you on the show, which I'm really excited about. You, you did a stint here in, in the United States. What was that about? Oh, it's, you know, it's one of those exchange years. Um, and for me, you know, very fortunate I was allowed to do that or got to do this. My dad had done this already, so it kind of ran in the family. My brother did it. But, you know, in terms of personal development, just incredibly valuable, right? Um, the, the fact, of course, you know, side benefits, get to know the American culture, you know, um, got to learn English quite well, I would say. But just, you know, in that year, personal well, I don't growth. Know about that. You seem to still be working I on. know. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Um, you say that was an entire was it an entire school year? It was entire yeah, senior year of high school. Oh wow, awesome! Uh, full, full year. So, but so you know, uh, anyone that asks me, I always recommend if you have the opportunity to spend some time abroad, right? No matter what age. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I mean, if you look at today, we're so international. There's so many different cultures, and I think if you have an opportunity to get exposed to that. And an exchange year, you know, is a quote unquote extreme way because you're away from your family. You sort of have to deal with what, you yeah. know, with the new environment. I think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet. I'm, I'm just I'm curious, just personally, I know you were studying English as many Europeans did. Uh, where what was, what was your English skill by the time you did that? It was probably pretty good already, right? Con you know, I could do conversations, right? I think the story that every exchange student will, will tell you is the big change is when you start dreaming in the foreign language, then yeah. you know you made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. I studied so. German, but not enough to dream in it. So I got right, I got up to the uh, the dream state, didn't get, didn't cross that line. So um, I wonder uh, if that's something you actually want. Just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well, if I visit you where you are now in in in, uh, in Munich, I'll um, you know I can brush up on my German. Let's say you're you're nearing the end of your um, master's degree. Although you know through this master's doctorate uh, zone, any cybersecurity discussions yet? Uh, or, or not at all? Yeah, no intersection. No. no, okay. no. Yeah. Um, what what happens then? So you're going to wrap up um, your degree work. What's next? Exactly. So I finished my PhD and then started to look around, but. Um, because I needed the job, like everyone else probably. And one of the things that was, for me, I think clear early on is I didn't want to do software just for the sake of software. So I did have an offer to work for Google in Zurich very early on. It probably would have been one of the you know, first employees there. And then in hindsight, you know, maybe financially, I should have taken that job looking at how, how they ended up doing. But for me, it was always clear, you know, soft, just doing software for software's sake wasn't enough. Somehow I felt I wanted something more and I, you know, ended up with, with ABB in, the, in their corporate research lab because that gave me that something more because, you know, software was a means to an end, uh, a link to the physical world. And that for me sounded very intriguing. Why? I don't know. Right. It just felt like the right place for me to be at that time. Yeah. And, and you had, it's interesting. I didn't know. That's one of my first things I learned about you. You had... You had family who've been at ABB before. Yeah, yeah. And when when I did the interview and they asked me, so why did you apply for ABB? I, yeah. I said, you know, my grandfather worked for BBC. My dad worked for ABB. My older brother decided to go somewhere else, so I now have to uphold family tradition. So yeah. here I am. <laughs> Got it. Awesome. And you, and you were at ABB a long time. Um, from that early work you're just talking about to what you were doing 
you know, all the way through uh, when you when you left only what five years ago or so. That was all exactly. Yeah, I was with ABB what eleven years plus or minus a few. Um, yeah. Um, great time. I mean, you know, I started in corporate research, which is also sort of where I had my first touch points uh, with security. But yeah, eleven years uh, with ABB. Well, let's talk about the two things: intersection of of control systems and intersection of cyber. Uh, both yep. happen, it sounds like you know those those converged uh, in your personal journey at, while you were at ABD. Absolutely, yeah. It, both sort of new topics when I arrived there because I was uh, part of a um, research team that was doing security for control systems, and at that time it was very small. So my first job was actually to look at uh, security for substation automation, particularly you know intelligent electronic devices and remote terminal units. Um, so you know I had to learn fast, uh, and it was super interesting coming from you know university with a let's say traditional computer science background to then meet you know electrical engineers and sort of find that common ground and then also introducing the topic to cybersecurity uh, which at that point you know was still I think a very young very immature uh, in, in in that industry so do you recall um, sort of the, any of the early discussions around uh, cybersecurity that you were drawn into and what they were about or any sort of belt you know kind of events uh, that precipitated um, that um, I mean, for me, you know, one of the stories I like to tell that I think gave me a lot of guidance later on was, you know, the first sort of things I was doing at ABB was doing, I don't want to say pen testing because that's overstated and any real pen tester today would just, you know, laugh at what we did back then. But it was basically, you know, it was, yeah. it was taking a an IED, an intelligent electronic device and running some tests, right? And I remember... You know, at first, you know, these electrical engineers, they looked at me and said, well, you know, we know exactly what this device does. Uh, what are you going to do to it? Right. So they, they were not interested, but they were like, fair, you know, go half at it. Uh, and somehow I managed to really brick it. So to the point where, you know, the protection function didn't work. And what I found was interesting is at that point, these guys that before were not interested looked at me and said, what did you just do? Because you just broke the most important thing our device does, which is protect the electrical grid. And they went from, I don't care about security, to you better make me an expert so that that doesn't ever happen again. right? And, and for me, that was sort of a teachable moment because from that moment on, I realized the thing you need to do first is understand you know, the asset you're trying to protect, protect what is, is its main functionality. right? Because people don't care about security mainly mostly, right? But if I can link security to what they care about, they're going to be listening and they're going to be super interested. So for me, that was a super teachable moment. And from that point on, I always first start asking questions about, you know, your product, your software, your application, what's the most important thing it does? What's the most important piece of data or function or whatever, right? And then try to link security to, to that. Uh, and that's, you know, how I've been engaging with all sorts of people ever since. Yeah, so you start there in in the research, corporate research, almost 18 years yep. ago, and you end as group head of, of cybersecurity. At what point does security become your your focus? You know, it sounds like uh, it, Pretty much from the beginning. I mean, in the yeah. beginning, I was researcher, right? And then throughout, because, you know, I've, did, I've done some, you know, some testing and, and found some flaws, but also was able to help teams fix it. Um, there were some very clever, you know, tech managers that saw that and said, oh, wait a minute, 
we need to do this systematically. Hey, Marcus, can you do this for all of our substation automation business? Of course I can. And then we did that quite well. And then the next guy comes in, hey, Marcus, can you do this for our entire power systems division? Right, so I did that. And then, you know, at some point, Joe Hogan, the CEO at the time, came and said, hey, Marcus, can you do this for all of ABB? I'm like, sure, why not? So, you know, it was sort of, you know, I was the one-eyed among the blinds for some time, but sort of the topic, you know, grew a little bit with me. It was, happened to be in the right place at the right time. But I think also, you know, I did the things the right way around. So, again, there was never a plan for me entering saying I want to be the group head of cyber for ABB. It just sort of happened because the topic grew and, you know, it sort of grew with me a little bit, I would say. And, you know. You just answered the question I was going to get to because people are making decisions and some people are, you know, trying to be deliberate and others, you know, aren't. But they're like, how do you how do you end up somewhere? And, and I think that's it's interesting to share on your part. It evolved and you just kept applying yourself and it evolved. Yeah. Had that, did the position, you know, sort of that you ended up in, did that exist before you were in it? I, no. I know the number of guests are the first timers in their positions. Yeah. No, it, it didn't exist. Right. So yeah. it, was, it was great. And a lot of positions that I had didn't exist. Um, so, you know, yeah. they were created. Um, um, and I'm a big believer in, you know, I don't like people who sort of start and say, oh, in six years, I want to be, you know, the CISO. Um, I mean, it's it's good to have an ambition. Don't get me wrong. And I think that's, you know, I don't mind that at all. But I think if you're trying to plan out your professional life from day one, you know, that might actually get in the way. And I think I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, you do the best you can at the job you have. And if you do that and you, you know, build up your network and you're surrounded by good people, good things will happen to you. Well, let's talk about that. I think that those are great segues right there, both of those, which is sort of surrounding yourself with good people I mean, how how that works how that happens your network what that means you know and that, that doesn't mean you went to an event and exchanged some, some cards over a cocktail party <laughs> a network a network you built a building a quality network is a time intensive thing that, yep. that matures over a longer period so talk about that i mean first why don't you talk about sort of your approach to that and how you've built your personal network and how back how far back that goes um, so I think it's two things. I mean, within a company, right, you need to make an effort, especially if you're working in security and you want to expand beyond the security network, you need to make that effort, right? You need to have an interest in what other people are doing. Uh, but it's, I think it's an effort that's worthwhile because it's going to pay back big time, right? Probably some of it is a little bit of luck. I mean, at ABB, I was really fortunate to have really great colleagues around me, right? Some of them are still, you know, within ABB, you know, like, like Bart or Davis or Ragnar Shearholz, you know, they were uh, there early on and, and we did all of these things together. But the other thing is, and, you know, that's one of the things that I think for people that are not part of the ICS community might maybe be hard to understand. I was also fortunate enough, I think, to be there quite early on, right, when Dale started uh, with digital bonds and this was pre the first S4, you know, when people like Ernie Rakowski, you know, were still around and, you know, had, uh, f was fortunate enough to be able to work with him and get to know him. So, but, you know, when I came on scene, you know, there was a small group already. And I think, you know, building network for me at that time meant and still means, you know, you need to be a little bit humble, no matter, you know, what your title is or what you think you know. There's probably other people out there that know more and know better. And by you know listening and, and learning, you start to build up that network. And I think, especially early on in ICS, it was a lot about trust. Um, and and again, you know, there were some people, you know, Paul Scarry from Siemens, uh, 
Rob McComber from uh, what was it, Talvin and now Schneider, right? Our biggest competitors, but we ended up having great relationships because it was built on on trust. You know, we saw each other at uh, you know standards bodies and things like that, and there was a genuine trust and willingness to work together, which I've never honestly seen ever again since uh, in in other industries. It does seem to be very strong in this industry. I, I've, I've, Absolutely. Been, I've been in this industry off and on for 20 years, but I've been in a few others. And so I only know from my own limited exposure, it does seem stronger in this one than in some others. I can't comment mm -hmm. on all, all industries and verticals, <laughs> but it, it, you're right, there's something. Um, and there's a huge willingness, you know, which I, you know, not to say way yet to it, but I was gonna ask you about it later, you know, sort of this mentorship idea, there's a huge willingness to help people. Um, yeah. What I'm finding is uh, all the guests on the show are like, yeah, people reach out to me and I it, I don't know them, but I try to help them. I mean, especially if it's a well-articulated, well-written sort of approach, uh, professional approach. I mean, yeah, I try to help them. And I think that's been my experience is people are very, very open uh, in this industry, which I think is tangential to what you're talking about. There's this willingness to help. Uh, there is a lot of trust. That is a, a positive of our, of our industry, I think. I totally agree. And I think, you know, I've, I've wondered many times why that is. I think in the beginning it was because we all had exactly the same challenge, right? We were all in big companies. Uh, we're all convinced that we needed to do better in terms of security for, you know, uh, uh, industrial control systems, whatever you want to call it, smart grids, you know, whatever the buzzword was at the time. So there was almost like a self-support group. I think we would kid around every once in a while. And I think still today, I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing this that are in it, you know, and it might, may sound cheesy now, but I actually do believe that a lot of people are in it because they want to make, you know, our critical infrastructure more secure. And I think that common, you know, desire, that's potentially what fuels this, uh, you know, this openness to help each other and not look at each other as competitors all the time. Yeah. 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 That's probably true. So let's talk about, um, if you're talking about sort of building one's personal network, and you said something else, sort of like, you know, the team around you. Now you you have to build teams and you are building teams in sort of you're in a leadership position, um, an, another mm -hmm. new one. Um, and we'll talk sort of what happened after ABB and where you are now. But um, what what do you, you know, what are your thoughts about how you surround yourself? I think there was your quote with good people um, or, you know, that, and that's a quote I've heard others of you didn't say it, other people mm -hmm. have said it. What's the, what, what's the method there? What's the thought process? It's, well, I don't have the magic formula, right? But um, for me, it it means, Teams, it's more than just, you know, the skills that people bring. There, there needs to be a certain chemistry, people, uh, you know, on a personal level, you know, values are important to me, for instance, right? Um, reliability, you know, um, respect is super important, these kind of things. So when, when I interview someone or even when I interviewed for a job, talking to my potential future boss or, uh, you know, colleagues, that's something I look for. I, I don't just look at the you know, technical skills or the technical challenges. I want to know also what kind of culture is there in a the company or, you know, what, what what type of person is the candidate really. Um, so I think that's super important. The other thing that for me is extremely important is diversity. And again, it might sound cheesy. I know people are throwing that around all the time. Um, but, you know, from personal experience, I just know with every fiber in my, my body that teams that have a certain level of diversity just perform better. Right. I always say if I'm sitting at a table and there's seven copies of me around, I can guarantee you that team will not get anything done. Uh, <laughs> that's just not going to work. So I've always been uh, a fan. Uh, you know, in the beginning, I didn't realize it maybe explicitly, 
but by now I do. I'm a huge fan and supporter of, you know, when you build your teams, it's all about, you know, diversity. You know what, maybe now is a good time to say that because I wanted to ask you about that. I know you've, what, you know, diversity means a lot of different things to different people, but you've, you've actually been, you've done work and been charged to do some work in that area and uh, be mm. thoughtful about that area versus just experiencing it or whatever along the way. Um, you know, let's talk about d diversity, yeah. what, you, what you've seen. Um, you and I talked many, many months ago about one, just one little interesting area of it that I've been, you know, fascinated ever since. Um, we're talking about people with special skills um, who um, might, uh, you know, might be part of a workforce that people might not think about and can, can bring their special skills that other people might deem a disability and like, no, it could be an advantage. You know, that's yeah. a cool little, just a little piece of, of diversity. You know, obviously, the whole mosaic that you've had to think about. Um, what would you share? It's an interesting discussion because people tend to just put it into a box, right? When you cite diversity, you know, some people equate it with gender equality, other people equate it with, uh, you know, racial equality or, but for me, diversity is all about saying, look, everyone deserves to have the same opportunities. No one should be at a disadvantage because of, you know, color of skin or culture or nationality or whatever else, right? So so that's for me at, at, the, at the core of, of diversity is everyone deserves to have the same chances the same opportunities and then but diversity is you know has so many different aspects and again I, I one i'm not the expert here derek so you know anyone that's listening take anything i say with a grain of salt i'm not uh i'm far from being the expert or having this figured out i think i'm very aware of the topic by now and i'm trying my best right to to also help others but i just again i just see when you bring together teams with diverse backgrounds and again it could be age it could be you know just the fact you know diversity for me also means um is everyone on your team uh, has everyone on your team been with the company for 30 years that's is not that diversity that's that's not diverse so you, you can look at it that way right i mean and and that for me you know and and if you manage to have these different people profiles all together it's such a fun environment and you know looking back at abb we happen to have quite a diverse environment from day one right if someone else if someone designed that congrats to them if it happened by chance uh, you know good luck for us um but i've i've seen what it feels like to work in teams that are maybe not as diverse um and so now these days uh, you know within carry my current employer you know I'm, I'm trying to really push diversity within the entire engineering community because i just again i see and it's you know it's so frustrating for instance to see when if people have potential and they're not able to lift that potential because of some silly box that they've been put in and someone deems that because they're in that box they don't deserve the same chance as someone else uh so two things i would i would ask you about is diversity let's say we're going to say let's let's secure modern operating technology critical infrastructure let's staff that all with ot engineers yeah is that diverse nope uh, oh no let's stop it with all cyber people who've been doing cybersecurity already for 15 years it based cyber yeah. you know, they can handle it right that's the is that diverse enough no but that's you know diversity has so many dimensions yeah. right yeah. Um, and, you know, some might be easier to overcome, others might be a bit more more difficult. And uh, again, you know, I, I also want to be mindful. I know that, you know, what we just said, Derek, when we said, well, a team of all security experts is not diverse. Some people might find that offensive and say, yeah, but that's not that's not what diversity is about. Diversity right. is about 
gender equality and you know racial equality yes right. it is right and i'm not trying to diminish or put it on the same same level and you yeah. know it's a super complex topic right but i think it's one of those you know there's little things there's smaller things there are more complicated things but again as I, I would agree to you, right? If you have a team of all security people that have done the same thing, done the tra same training, done the same job, hey, maybe if that's by design and for a certain purpose, that might be the best. But again, in general, right? Adding a little bit of salt and uh, spices here and there, I think it just makes teams work better. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be in all the conversations I've had now for, for 10 years from all of you in the field is that um, this problem is best solved uh, with some very different perspectives coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that it, it's it calls for that. Um, it demands that. Um, what about what about um, uh, what can you say about sort of working with people who um, might have what some would call a disability, but it could yeah. be a real asset. That was a really cool share that you and I talked about sure. months ago. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, happy to. Because it was for me, it was a. a really a great experience um, and it's you know one of those things where uh, we worked at a company who helped um, people um, uh, with with uh, disabilities with um, autism right trying to get them uh, positions so that they can work and we worked at this company and we we're actually able to place I can't remember three or four people uh, within our team with autism and it's I'm always honest about this you know i was not skeptical but i was worried because and i was wasn't worried about you know would these people perform i was worried about myself right would i do the right things would i say the right things would i you know inadvertently do something to affect you know I, i'll be honest with you i was really worried i mean and the company we worked with did a really good job at educating us explaining to us you know what this is all about and you know how we can make uh, these new colleagues feel most welcome right um, and again at the end of the day it was such a great experience having them on board um, we, we even had you know one of them was willing at one point to do sort of a lunch and learn and talk about her side of the story you know how she felt and one it was just again so uplifting to see how happy she was and how pleased she was uh, it was great, you know, she had a great sense of humor, so she was also making some jokes about it uh, and sort of explained, you know, from her side that there were certain things she just struggled with in terms of, you know, distractions and things like that, uh, you know, how the environment that we created helped her. But but again, it's at the end of the day, it was such a rewarding experience for me personally, but I think also for, for our team and our company. Um, but But it's, again, one of those things we had to ask for help. Right. Luckily, there was a company that sort of provided that help, made everything happen. We had to make that investment. I think it's okay for people to, you know, like I did, raise their hand and say, look, I'm 100% behind this, but I need help. I don't feel 100% comfortable because I need to learn. I need to improve. Right. No one, you know, again, in diversity in general, no one expects you to be perfect. But I think you're expected to have an open mind and be willing to learn and listen and have people tell you, you know, maybe you need to do it this way or maybe you need to be careful here. And was it an outcome in that particular story that there were some um, in the application potentially, and I, I forget, I was maybe in the in the sock or whatever, that there were some, yeah. some gifts, some some strengths potentially. Uh, abs yeah, absolutely. So so um, these people, you know, worked. Uh, 
you know, I can't remember the details, but within our security operations center, right, did some very analytical work. Yeah. Uh, and they were really, really good at that. And they really enjoyed this as well. And I think that's, and appreciate you bringing this up because, you know, this wasn't a, you know, we just keep them busy, not at all, right? They were very much contributing. They were super uh, productive. They were even, you know, better at certain jobs than right. some of our other employees. And so, as you sort of said, right, um, some people would look at that and say, and see people with a disability, what actually happened is for us, these were people with strength, right? And by creating an environment that allowed them to leverage those yeah. strengths, it was just a win-win. I, I, that has stuck with me from the moment you shared that because that wasn't a quota system like, okay, let's check a box and put exactly. some individuals of whatever you know description in this square peg, you know, in this slot and say, okay, we check that off. But it was actually finding that there were some amazing strengths by that. Yeah. Know, by that individual being added to the team in the right role, it just um, that's and, you know I, I I also you know I need to give the credit to others here, right? I was just along for the ride, you know. I was in a leadership position and you know sort of gave all the support that was needed, but it was totally other people that you know initiated this, made this happen. Again, I was fortunate enough to be on along for the ride and and learn from it, and so you know. If anyone that listens takes this away and says, hey, maybe I should see what I can do here, please do. I mean, there's organizations out there that can support you. Again, this is part of this story, right? The lessons yeah. learned. Yeah. You're not, you don't need to do this by yourself. There's organizations out there that can support you if you want to, you know, help integrate, you know, people that have different strengths. That's awesome. I love it. So one thing I like to occasionally ask or often ask my guests is if you could go back you know, 20 years, what would you, and you were sitting across from yourself, what would you, <laughs> anything you would, uh, you would share? With myself? Yes. Um, no, I wouldn't. Uh, but, and the reason is very simple. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy where I am right now, you know, with my family, with my professional life, you know, like everyone else, ups and downs. And, you know, would I like to, you know, maybe have a few uh, broken bones less? Yes. Or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I wouldn't change anything. That, not because I didn't make mistakes. Trust me, <laughs> I made plenty of mistakes. But just because where I am right now, I'm pretty happy. So I wouldn't want to risk screwing that up. You don't regret skiing down the Swiss Alps at night with a blindfold on? I mean, I really think that was one of your... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, done smarter things, maybe. I don't remember doing that, no. But, uh, hey, okay. you know, uh, you, you learn from your mistakes, right? Well, that's so, a great, a great sort of position uh, or place that you're in is feeling uh, feeling like this is your your journey's been been good and um, doesn't sound like there's a lot of regrets and that's that's awesome and not everybody can say that but I think it's a certainly a great disposition. Well, so let's look to the future then. If the past has been pretty good, what excites you about tomorrow and the years the years ahead? So I mean, I just recently changed jobs, right? So recently, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, you weren't on EBB anymore and you are. <laughs> Did something between a couple things between where you are now. Yeah, let's let's go. Exactly. Uh, well, that's why you know after having been at ABB for a long time, and and maybe if you allow me, I'll share one one of yeah. the reasons I left ABB because yeah. maybe one or the other could be in the same position. I was super happy at ABB, but I was at a point where whenever I raised my hand and said, "Hey, I'd love to do something else," I was pretty much told, "Hey, Marcus, you're doing a great job. We need you as our head of security." Right. Which on the one hand is a great compliment to, to have, but on the other hand, 
it actually forced me out of the company because I said, look, I love the company, I love the people, but I'm too young for this to be my last job. Um, and then, you know, I had the opportunity to change to Airbus and, and take over their cybersecurity business. Um, so when I came in, you know, the business was around 650 uh, employees, um, not ICS, not control systems. So we had, you know, part of it was on, on uh, defense and then it was um, also some security services. Uh, that's the reason also why we moved to Germany. Um, so completely different role, right? Going from a functional sort of uh, CISO head of security role into actually being the CEO of a security business for about four and a half years that I was there. Again, so eight months ago, I decided again, it was time for a change and uh, ended up with Carriot, uh, which uh, some people may know, most probably don't. So Carriot, if I had to summarize it, um, is the software company of Volkswagen Group, it was created uh, a bit more than two years ago. Uh, basically, uh, Volkswagen realized, you know, how important software was going to be and that, uh, you know, if every brand does it themselves, it's just not efficient enough and doesn't scale. So they pulled sort of their software resources uh, and created Carriot. And, you know, we're now developing sort of a unified um, technology stack and software um, for all the Volkswagen brands. So that's, you know, Volkswagen, that's Porsche, uh, that's Audi, Skoda, Seat, um, so I've been in that role now for eight months. And so when, when you ask me what excites you, well, it's my current job. You know, it's being able to have an impact on the future of mobility. You know, what we do today is going to have a very long term impact because the software we're building today, you know, until it goes into production is a couple of years. And then those cars are going to be in use for another decade or two. Um, and that's what excites me right now. Yeah, it's a whole new era for cars. And there's yeah, it's, it's not like. A step, a step function of slightly more than the previous cars. It's a, it's a wild uh, new category of, of cars that need firmware yeah. upgrades and software upgrades and how all that's going to work and how it's going to be secure in autonomous cars. I'm assuming that falls under uh, yeah. thought processes and, and designs as well. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that pretty much the same like we felt 20 years ago when we started to do the first, uh, first digital substations or where someone started talking about putting smart meters in and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So yeah. story repeats a bit, but yeah, absolutely. Autonomous driving is of course a very big topic of uh, the things we're, we're doing, it's, but it's also things like, you know, online services, right? In the future, you know, the car is going from, you know, a, you know, today you enjoy, a lot of people enjoy driving a car. In the future, you will enjoy everything else in a car, but driving because the driving is gonna be done for you. <laughs> so super interesting. Um, yeah, and you know, for me, I'm fortunate, right? Uh, security has given me huge opportunities in my career, right? I was able to work in industrial automation for a decade, then I was able to work in defense and aviation for you know almost five years, and now I'm in the automotive industry. I mean, what other jobs are out there that allow you to really just go from one cool domain into the next? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anything, um, you know, technology areas that we the question that I get sometimes is. For younger people, like, where should I focus, you know, because I want to be, you know, whether they say it or not, I want to be valuable, you know, in the future, uh, you know, is it AI, is it is it machine learning, is it, you know, what, what, what kinds of things could I start studying now, even if it's not part of my primary job, and and voila, five years from now, I'm, I'm in a pretty good, you know, pretty good spot. Is there any sort of areas that you're excited about uh, technology-wise that you would say, yeah, you know, start start cutting your teeth in this area and it'll, you'll, you know, you'll benefit from it? <laughs> 
That's a good question, Derek. Um, there's a lot, a lot of technologies I'm excited about, right? And you mentioned some, but I, I think for, for, for people that are starting out now, or maybe even are thinking about, you know, what should I study? I still think it's important to have a solid foundation of technology know-how, right? I think, you know, if you specialize yourself too quickly, that might actually be a bit dangerous because technology keeps changing fast, right? And you need to be able to jump from one topic to the next. Uh, and in, with security, yes, security sort of stays the, the staple theme, right? But you have to apply it to all sorts of different technologies. And I think if you don't have sort of a solid, um, you know, um, technical foundation, technical know-how that's quite broad, I think people will struggle. So my advice would really be, you know, make sure you don't just focus on one thing, make sure you have sort of this foundation to build up on yeah and then follow your passion i mean this technology should be about passion right it shouldn't be that you do ai because it's the the thing you think you can make money off it should be about passion because you know if you're if you're there uh, you know if you have a long night and it's two o'clock in the morning it's passion that's going to get you through right yeah that's true across so many industries not just cyber that it, that'll sustain yeah. you in the dark times or in the difficult days <laughs> having passion and excitement about what you do. Yeah, that's really? that's for that's for sure that's the that's the case. And I've heard when you talk about the fundamental building blocks, I've heard many people say, understand basic networking. No matter what you're going to do, <laughs> understand how it works. Uh, absolutely. I totally. I mean you need to understand the pain. Look, and I, I see it today now as well. I sometimes I kid around, you know, uh, I'm already happy if I can do something in PowerPoint because that's, you know, the extent or, you know, something in Microsoft Excel or something like that, right? That's the level of technology that I'm allowed to do these days. But it's the, it's still those basics that help, right? If I talk to my team, you know, they're super smart, they're super technical. The reason I can talk to them and sort of understand what the hell they're talking about is because at the end of the day, end of the day like you say, it goes back to basic networking or it goes back to basic software principles. And then there's a lot of new buzzwords around, and sometimes I understand, sometimes I don't. But that's you know, I have that's why I have smarter people in my team. But those basics, oh hell yeah, right? Uh, OSI layers still very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been uh, been awesome. Um, I'm just wrapping up with Marcus Brendel, head of information and automotive automotive security at Cariad, a Volkswagen Group company. If you missed it, they are the software uh, subsidiary uh, to the Volkswagen brands and modern uh, modern cars are highly reliant on software. So it's a cool, exciting area to be. Uh, if you're ready, uh, we'll wrap up here, Marcus. And I always like to end with the uh, the Pavot questionnaire. So this is from a French show. I don't know how far back, maybe 50 years ago. And then a, a show that I watched called Inside the Actors Studio, that which is syndicated in I don't know, I think over 100 countries, and it ran for many many decades. Um, and he borrowed the show, the host, James Lipton, who's now passed on, um, interviewed all the great actors and actresses of the age uh, with the, and he ended the show with the same questionnaire. So I'm using the exact same questionnaire now that's probably got, you know, 50 years. So are we going to do this in French then? No, I, I won't try to do that because it would, <laughs> it would really not be a good showcase for me. Uh, but uh, Come on. You know, if you want to answer in German or Swiss, you know, you go right ahead. So if you're ready, that uh, we'll wrap we'll yeah. wrap up with that. Okay. What is your favorite word? Opportunity. What is your least favorite word? No. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, a challenge. What turns you off? Uh, politics. 
What is your favorite curse word? Kopfatami. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Any of my electric tools in my uh, uh, work studio. What sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> the inside of an MRI. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, teaching. What profession would you not like to do? Teaching. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. All right. Thank you, Marcus. It's thanks, been great to have you on the show. And thanks for being a, a, a Global Advisory Board member of CSA for as, probably almost as long as we've been in existence and, and certainly yep. always willing to be helpful to our, our cause of supporting the workforce and, uh, and a longtime contributor you know, to the industry. Thank you for all that. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Take care, Marcus. Cheers.